0: Hello, hello, welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. As most of you know, March is International Women's Month, and the theme this year is Break the Bias. Break it in our communities breaking it in our workplaces, breaking the bias in our schools and homes, you see it, you call it out. I could not think of a better female powerhouse to talk to as we celebrate IWD than Joya Das. Joya has spent 20 years covering the financial markets on TV from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. She has also interviewed countless CEOs and is one of the best public speaking coaches ever out there. She started Lady Drinks in 2010 with her partner, Greta, as a monthly meetup for women in film and TV to network and get jobs. She has lived in New York City since 1999, and she says it's all about the attitude here, which I totally agree. She is currently the founder of the Women's Leadership Academy, which is a leadership platform for executive women, which we talk all about. I get to actually meet Joya twice this week, once for a community event tomorrow, and once for a IWD dinner that she is hosting. So I'm very excited about that. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Joya Das. So uh, I'm going to start off with the Women's Leadership Academy. You are the founder, and you know. Let's talk about the original impetus for launching WLA. Can I call Mm -hmm. it that? WLA, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, For launching WLA, the the original impetus. And I guess a two-part question to that is, who is this academy
1: meant for and has that changed over time? Sure. So I, in 2010, my contract had come up with Channel 7, which is ABC here in New York. It's the number one station in the country. It's the number one station in um in new york city and i realized i was looking back at my career which at that point was at the 10 year mark and i was like i don't i don't have a body of work that i can look at and be like i did that not on my deathbed And I was dying to do stuff that I could take the time to revise and make beautiful. I've done morning TV for so long. You just bang it out, bang it out, bang it out. But you never stop to make anything beautiful. So it was out of this desire that I started a documentary production company on the side while I was still on the air. Now, obviously, I was going to need a partner in order to be able to pull this off because I couldn't do both things. So I had a, um, a partner who was originally from Toronto, and she had started something called Lady Drinks. In Toronto as a way for women in film and TV to network and get jobs. She had moved to New York and was like, I, I want to figure out a way to host Lady Drinks events in New York. Well, she became my partner for a year on this production company. And as a business development exercise, only a business development exercise, did we start hosting these Lady Drinks meetups for women to be able to come and network and meet. Now, it's important for you to know that Greta My partner was English, not knowing anything about me and partnering up with me. She had no idea that I had spent, you know, at this point, 10 years on television. And when we first started hosting those events, it was eight women, 40 women, 300 women, and all of them were Indian. Really? (laughs) Because this whole generation had grown up watching me on TV and I was completely, uh, had no idea because I was behind the glass of the, of the camera. Right. Right. And now they were all coming to share that they were doing something other than the Indian parent approved doctor, lawyer, engineer. And they were coming to share what their entrepreneurial ventures were. They were probably still doing doctor, lawyer, engineer, but they were doing this little thing on the side or they hadn't told their parents yet that they were full fledged, you know, nosediving into another career. Right. So to me, it was very apparent that there was two things. One, there was a pain point in the market. There was no place for Indian professional women to have conversations about becoming CEO, CMO, senior counsel, managing director, or business owner. And second of all, I was clearly in a place of responsibility, whether I liked it or not. And I had spent an entire career Being on this trading floor at the New York Stock Exchange and interviewing the titans of business. So, what if I started to connect the dots? What if I was interviewing them in front of a live audience that was so hungry for this brand of intel and knowledge? Right. So, that was 2012. Okay. That I hosted my first event. And by 2013, I had set up a nonprofit under the 501c6 designation under the IRS, which is really designated for any body that has a membership but is engaged in educational and professional programming. And that's when Lady Drinks was born. Okay, who is it for? I would say in those early days, it was for anyone who was of Indian background that was a woman and wanted to come to network. Okay. I will tell you now that as I'm entering my 10th year of business, I've really narrowed that down. It would be nice if she is Indian, but she does not have to be. But I'm looking for somebody who is already a senior to mid-level manager, is at an inflection point in their career, and needs to figure out how to get to the next level. They want to become partner. They want to become chief marketing officer. They want to get that next job. Um, They're also somebody who I'm craving depth. I'm craving somebody who comes with a well of resources, because the way that I've built all of my programming now today, you're not just there to take. You are there to give of your expertise, and you'll learn that when you come to my dinner um, next week, that I'm very much interested in people that are there for the give and take, not just the take. To add value to the community. Correct. Right. And then the last thing that I would say, the biggest criteria, I'm convinced that there's an epidemic in New York. Nobody listens. Nobody listens to anybody anymore. And so I am really looking for people that are active listeners who are not listening to respond, but are listening to process and give you a thoughtful response. So, uh, you know, I can pick those people out in an instance. And when I do, I actively go after them to become members today. They might be Indian, they may not be Indian, but I'm really just after some really intelligent women that espouse the ethos of networking and know the power of it. That's amazing.
0: I love the um, whole idea that you are looking for women that listen, or in, in fact, at, at, this, in, at this in this stage, in this stage and where we are, social media, what's going on? Anyone that listens versus talking is like a gem, because you are right. As a podcaster, even I, I have learned through these eighty episodes to listen more and realize how much more I have grown through that process, and maybe also realized that I hadn't been pausing and listening and to learn. Um, and I also truly believe great leaders listen more than talk at the end of the day. So I love that. Okay. So for anyone that's interested, can you walk me through some of the highlights of the program? What can people expect to
1: get out of it? Um, there are three pillars to the way that I run what I call my Women's Leadership Academy. There's a mastermind, and that is my premium level offering. It's It's eight women on a 12-month journey. They're very clear about their goal and they're going to meet once a month with the accountability and the structures that I built around it in order for you to achieve that and realize that by the end of this year. Um, there is the master class. Given my training and background as a news anchor, more and more women over the years were asking me to train them on public speaking training. So that is something that I, I have a new cohort that basically comes together every six to eight weeks. And then finally, at the heart of it all is my membership. And my membership really is what I like to call mastermind light. You are expected to come together on a Zoom call. There are three different groups that meet during the week, but this is really an opportunity for you to bring a challenge, to celebrate your wins, and to be able to ask for connections for whoever's going to add value to your challenge at this time. One of the keystones and cornerstones of my entire movement is events. My superpowers that I know how to put on really over-the-top events. So those events are also available to my membership So, for example, I'm about to take seven women to Paris and at the beginning of April, I'm about to take 36 people to Croatia on a yacht in July, Um, and I'm about to take um, another group to Marrakesh in September. So I'm really thinking big. I'm not just like, hey, let's put on an event. I really have a, a big vision about how I want these events to be. And there's a, there's a little bit of method to my madness. I'm going to push you so far out of your comfort zone that you see what else becomes possible for you. And I highly doubt that there's a lot of women that I have come across in the 10 years where somebody else is really pushing them outside of their comfort zone. So it really, these trips are a metaphor for me being able to do that. I'm always curious to see who also comes. I did a skydiving retreat. I'm like, I'm going to put this out there. I want to see who shows up to jump out of perfect perfectly good plane with me. And seven women showed up that day, but that tells me so much about you.
0: Right. Um, so for these trips, just curiosity is, is the purpose. I'm sure it's multi-purpose, but is it to bond with each other? Is it to network? Is it to, what, what is, if you were interested in becoming a member and you, and get on these trips, what is that about?
1: I think that networking, the real gems happen on the walk to breakfast. I think they happen when you are waiting for the car to arrive. I think they happen when you are seeing something for the first time and somebody else is bearing witness with you. So I, I think that you will go on a trip like this expecting one thing, but you'll come back transformed as another. And where did I learn this? It was because I was taking production crews to other countries to shoot all kinds of documentaries when I had that documentary uh, film producing uh, production company. I saw this. You know, I took a crew of five guys for that first feature length film I did. They came back different people. You, you can't come back the same people because you've had different experiences. You've lived with these people. You've been in places that you've never been before that have really been out of your comfort zone. So that's, I'm most that's interested the main thing, in that. Yeah.
0: Out of the comfort zone is key, I think. I have moved. We'll talk again at dinner, but this is my seventh move in 13 years. My uh, This is during marriage, not even before. So um, I know a thing or two about change. And that's um, why you're
1: tuckered out because you got of yes. moving. Oh, girl, I got some <laughs> stories
0: for you. Um no, that's amazing. Uh, I wanted to quickly ask you about the model minority myth and the idea that a lot of South Asians, Indians, particularly women, maybe compete with each other and don't think that there's enough room at the top. Mm. Um, do you feel that we are supporting each other as Indian women enough or have you seen The 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 side where you know a lot of us have where a lot of our South Asian community isn't supporting us for that reason.
1: Wow, that's a big question. I I think I think growing up, being born to parents who emigrated here, I was not raised with an ethos of there's enough to go around. Now that I'm firmly entrenched in this women's leadership movement that I'm in, I'm actively working to change that conversation. But but that's why I'm so careful about who I allow into membership, because if you're coming in with an attitude of there's not enough, if you're coming with an attitude of like, well, I, you know, I don't, I'm not getting anything out of this. You're not here to just get something out of it for you. You're here to give as much as you are to take. And if you can't, lead with that, then, then there's a the problem. There's a disconnect here and you even being a member. And I come up against this every day. There's, comes a point where people just like self-select out because the bigger mission is that you're here to give as much as you are to take. And I'm trying to change that conversation very actively. Now, that being said, I, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been interviewing people for 10 years. I've interviewed the CEO of Vimeo. I've interviewed uh Pao kadakia I've interviewed Anjula Acharya. And I think all of them have been very giving in the counsel that they shared when they were in the room. But I think that comes from the amount of respect that I give them and the amount of respect that I get in return. So you can't come in expecting to get that and come from a place of entitlement. You have to be able to give that as much as you take it.
0: Right. No, I love that. So if if you can, are there, and and, you don't have to say names, of course, but example of women that have come into the academy completely, you not lost in a bad way, but just kind of figuring themselves out and that you have seen rise and grow in a
1: way that's unexpected hundred percent. I remember a gal by the name of Mona and Mona showed up to one of my events in the very, very early years. I think it was like 2013 or 2015. And she didn't even know how to network. She walked in the room, eyes like saucers, like, what do I do? Who do I talk to? And I had invited her. And I was like, listen, like, calm down. Like, I'm just going to walk you around the room. I'm going to do the Jerry Maguire, walk you around the room and introduce you to people. And all you got to do is, is talk. At the time, she was a compensation analyst at a company. And she had a small side hustle, which was an events planning business. And she had reached out to me cold on Facebook, as many women do. And I invited her to this event. but she And she showed up. I I have props for people that show up. I think that's 50% of it. But then she just was like, what do I do? And she just kept showing up and showing up and showing up. And today, she has bought a restaurant. She no longer hosts events in other people's venues because she bought the venue. She now has an event planner that reports into her and a staff of 40, including managers and and junior level managers and people that report into her. She, to me, is a big triumph story. Why? Because she never saw the value of what she brought to the table until she kept getting asked that. At every single event that I do, it might be, you might be saying, oh, Joy is here, she's there, but I'm always, there's always an element of conversation that happens afterwards. And you are going to sit down and reflect on what you just saw. And I'm going to force you to really think critically about things about your leadership that you haven't before. So it's not a social function. I am forcing you to think about your professional trajectory, but because she did that over such a long period of time, she came into her own and now she owns a restaurant. Um, I will tell you some more recent stories of women who've come through my masterclass and they were job searching, but they just didn't know how to connect the dots. The job requires these six traits. They have stories in their career history where they have demonstrated these traits, but they didn't know how to knit those two stories together. So that's really what we're doing in the workshop. I think people come in thinking we're going to work on your elocution. We're going to work on your addiction. We're going to work on your confidence. Yes, we're going to work on those things. but. This is probably the first time that you sat down and workshopped and knitted these things together so that you can come across in a much more eloquent way. It's about the organization of the the material. All that to say is this woman was interviewing while she was taking my master class. She slowly started to get past that first interview and get asked back for the second interview. And I just found out she got a job and it was $15,000 more than her last job. So for me, like that's, that's results. That's
0: amazing. Um, no, I love that because I think and, and correct. I don't know the percentage of this, but like it, there's so much of this that it's just confidence, right? And, and the, the idea that you have someone like you and this academy to support you gives you that, right? Otherwise,
1: it's very isolating, right? I don't think it's confidence. I think it's courage. Courage. I'm really forcing you to be vulnerable in a way you've never probably been vulnerable before. I think a lot of Indian women, especially have a veneer that they have for social media, a veneer that they have for their family, a veneer that they have for work. And then there's, then there's the real them. And I'm really forcing you to bring the real person into the room. Right. And, and, and be that vulnerable. And that takes courage more than it takes confidence. The confidence comes after you flex that muscle 18 to 20 times. And then you go and buy a restaurant.
0: Right, and I think you know, and that's, and that's my next question. I think you know, for women and women of color, especially, and, and obviously speaking to, to the South Asian audience here, I think we have grown up, and a lot of us have grown up in a certain way where women, in general, and, and you, you, you tell me your thoughts on this. In general, historically or, or, or traditionally, have had have been shown to scientifically, whatever you want to call it have been shown to be less confident speaking publicly for whatever reasons that is. I don't know if genetics, I don't know what it is, or society. Um, And then add the South Asian aspect to it. And it seems like we have to double hurdle over these obstacles. Do you you agree
1: with that? I want to tell you a story. I loved, loved, loved as a kid singing along with the top 40 songs on Casey Kasem's Oh my God, Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew every word to every song. And I was, I fancied myself a great singer. And I would sit in the back of my station wagon that my dad was driving and belt songs out from the top of my lungs. And my mom would be like, shh, your dad's going to get mad. I don't think my dad ever said anything to me. But the fact of the matter is that we were raised to be seen and not heard, right? And if you if you did speak up, if you did have an opinion, if you did have a differing opinion in my household, anyway, there were repercussions. The other piece of my story, and I'm very vocal about this, is that I grew up in a home of domestic violence. So I know the repercussions of speaking up and using your voice. Did that tamp me down? No, I decided I was going to go and build a whole career around my voice. But I think that um, it's what our grandmothers have whispered in our ears and our mothers have whispered in our ears and what are their mothers and gra- their grandmothers have whispered in their ears. And at some point, like whose life are you living um, and, and whose, whose voices are you listening to? Like, I just had this conversation the other day with a woman who's an interior designer in Philadelphia, and she was talking about how fearful she is about hiring. And I'm like, you are a self-actualized interior designer. In business in Philadelphia, circa 2022, but you are still acting from what your grandmother whispered in your ear, and your mother whispered in your ear, and all the women that came before her, 75 years ago, circa 1951, have been whispering in their ears, and that is not your reality. Snap out of it.
0: It's a hard cycle to break, though, right, Joya? Because I, I'm, I'm sure, like your parents, my parents came in the 60s, um, and I think for our moms, it's just it's so built in, it's so in their DNA that. You know, I'm sure if my mom had stayed in India, she would have been a very different woman. She ended up building a business at 47, her own school, running it and ended up actually becoming the breadwinner by the time she was 60. So, I think, you know, for our our parents generation, I think they did the best they could and we grew up learning learning that and seeing that and we have the we are privileged to now have the options to do whatever we want. I think because Of our parents, right? Like that's my point of view on it. Um, But still, there is this—you know—I was raised, born and raised in the '80s. There's still this dichotomy of being an American but being a South Asian woman. And I I think about this podcast a lot, and I feel like the reason, one of the reasons I started this is because I wanted my voice to be heard. It's 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 my own form of therapy. I think, in a way, so yeah, and it's um,
1: cathartic, right? Yeah, to hear your own stories and you get to process a lot of your own, uh, a lot of your own sort of reality. I've never been one to toe the line. I think that it all comes down to choices, and your mother made a choice. I don't care that she made it at forty-seven; she made a choice, and she. And what is what are we really talking about with your mom starting a business and becoming the primary breadwinner at forty-seven or beyond? It's it's agency. It's finally having agency over your life and not allowing somebody else to dictate what how that's going to go
0: right no it's it's yeah it's it's just amazing to see our parents generation and, and and while talking to a lot of the guests in this podcast everyone has told me very unique stories about their parents initially coming here and where they are now and so yeah. um yeah i think we're a very lucky generation um okay i quickly want to talk about your career path up till now yeah business news anchor bloomberg cnn abc cbs and you've done that for Almost 20 years? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to assume this. Let me know if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that you were probably one of the few female South Asians in that space when you started. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. You know, you sent me this question earlier today. As, and I, as I thought about it, I don't know that I ever thought about being an Indian woman on television. Okay. Um, I
0: knew from on mainstream television, by the way, not Bollywood, not the TV Asia, but mainstream.
1: I've known since I was four years old that I wanted to be a news anchor. And that was really, truly born out of a daily ritual in my household at 630. My dad would watch NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw every night and I would sit and watch with him. And I think for him, it was his, it was his, it was him being patently American. Right. And for me, it was my future. Um, so it was never a matter of if I was going to become a news anchor it was like when I was going to become a news anchor and I just had blinders on and I kept moving forward. Um, And so whether or not I was of a different ethnicity never struck me because I was on a mission to get somewhere. And I don't think that it was till many years later, you know, in, you know, I'm about to interview Cal Penn and I'm reading his book about how much he faced stereotyped roles. It gave me pause because I thought to myself that I don't know that I ever experience that. And maybe the, maybe it's a question of like men versus women. If you're an attractive woman on television, you know, are all bets off. It doesn't really matter what your ethnicity is. I also did something that was very specific, right? I did business news, hourly updates from the stock exchange floor. There's also a very narrow pool of people that do that. So it wasn't something that you could read off of a prompter. You had to be able to stand in the middle of the trading floor, look at a bunch of screens and be able to tell a compelling story and do it every hour. So for me, I think that that is also something that was just unique to me, regardless of whether or not I was an Indian woman. Now let's talk about the role model piece of it. And yeah. I, I'm sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but no, go ahead. There were no role models for me. I will I will freely admit that. So what I had to get very scrappy at doing was to build that network. So I paid for grad... I threw money at the problem. I, I went to grad school. As soon as I got to grad school, I networked with every single avenue that was available to me so that I could get my first internship at NBC Nightly News. And when I got to that internship, I networked my ass off so that I could get my first job. And then once I got my first job, I networked to get my second job. So I am an avid believer in building the support system, the network that's going to get you to your goals. And that was never, ever anything to do with my ethnicity. I think
0: that's amazing that, that the, the storyline, the narrative of you being a South Asian woman didn't affect you in a negative way. Right. Is that what you're basically saying? Like, it was just kind of like you, you were doing what you were doing.
1: Yeah. You know, there's another piece of my story. You know, I I dropped mentioned the fact that I was born in a home of domestic violence. And then, so I left home at 18. Um, And so I paid for college by myself. I paid for grad school by myself. I paid for every move around the country to get to New York. So I was in full tilt survival mode. I was on my own from a very young age and had to figure out how to pay for it. I didn't have the latitude or the time to think about am I Indian? Am I not Indian? Is this affecting me? Is that affecting me? I had to fucking survive. Right. And so I don't think that any of this other stuff really ever entered my consciousness because of that.
0: Right. So then I have to to ask you from that, if you had grown up and stayed in the household and had the typical this experience with your family, do you think you would have pushed yourself as much?
1: my business coach just said this to me last week. She's like, Joya, you've got big visions. You've got big visions. And I wish most of my clients do, but I need to rein you in. That's what I need to do. I've no, always I love big. it. I think you totally should. Why not? I, I don't dream of doing a retreat in Colorado. I dream of doing a retreat in Marrakesh, right? So I think I've, I've always- I'm, innately, coming, I'm coming with you next time, Joya. I, you're welcome to come. I'm innately sort of a kid who's had vision and I've always thought big. So would I be different if I had a supportive family? Probably not. That's good to hear though.
0: That just means it just comes from your gut and your soul and, and that's who you are. So, you know, I'm a podcaster. So we have some cheesy podcast questions that we have to, we have to ask. So during that time, I'm just curious because I think it's fantastic that you did this journey at a time where I feel like there weren't many South Asians. Biggest takeaway, what did you learn from that time? As, a, as a, a business news anchor, being on TV, what, what was the growth?
1: Prepare, 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 prepare. Now, before anything, I want to come in as prepared and as overread as possible because you never you want to be as agile and as facile as you can in that moment. And that comes from the six weeks that lead up to it, not in those five minutes that you're on TV. Um, and so... I always have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C, and those are road tested and planned out long before I actually need to triage that in real time. And that's the way I function with a lot of things today. Like today I was just on a call, you know, as we're getting ready for the CalPen interview next week, I was like, well, what happens if the Wi-Fi isn't robust enough? Do we have index cards for people to be able to put their questions on? Like, let's think about plan B now, not in real time when I'm sitting there in front of it and we're like, uh, we don't don't have any questions. So now joy has got to figure it out. So I'm, I, I think that that, that thinking transcends television. You should always have your backups ready.
0: Right. Uh, I, I just thought of this question just, you know, cause obviously we, we talked about a little bit about social media before, but what are your thoughts on how social media is changing public speaking and how people are South Asian, South Asian women, women are out there, uh, trying to build their brands positive, negatives. You love it. Is it annoying? What are your thoughts?
1: I love it. I think it's been made democratic. It's not a bunch of guys sitting in an ivory tower somewhere deciding who can and can't have a mouthpiece. Everything is available to you now at a consumer level. You can create an entire YouTube channel from this. You can create an entire following from this. So I love that it's much more democratic and it's up to you to build a following. It's not up to somebody else. If you're doing the right things and you're showing up every day every day, and you're consistent and you're clear about who you're showing up for and why you're showing up for them, you can build a following. And so I don't care who you are. If you can do that, um, all those tools are now available to you in the way they weren't for me when I was first building my career.
0: Right. Gives you the power, right? Um, okay. So we talked a little bit about your childhood. Um, and, you know, and I, and I asked my South Asian guests this because a lot of us, did grow up in the typical Indian conservative household, which I think you mentioned.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and you also mentioned because this is not a uh, a normal, uh, not a normal thing, but this is a very rare thing that you knew what you wanted to do at the age of four. Uh, so, so two things: one, you know, I, I you had mentioned domestic violence in your house, but did you typically were your parents conservative? Were they hardcore about you like not dating? You know, typical Indian household, and then two. How do they feel about your passion, uh, towards this career path?
1: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things growing up. I wasn't allowed to go on ice cream dates with my friends. I couldn't go to the movies. I couldn't go to the prom. I couldn't go to, um, football games. I remember signing myself up for cheerleading and my parents were like, you can't do that. I signed up for band. They're like, you can't do that. I signed up for chorus. They're like, took me off the list. I don't, I feel like so much of their lives were wrapped in so much fear. And it's probably why the pendulum has swung so far the other direction for me as an adult. Why is fear informing so much of what you do day in and day out? I couldn't understand it. What do you think it is now,
0: though? What do you think it is? Because I will tell you super quick, I think fear is a thread amongst a lot of our parents. So what is your take on it?
1: I think it's already a big quantum leap that one is making by moving from one country to another. And there's stories that you kind of have in your head about what's going to happen to your daughter and you lead with that. But the danger of that is, is that, you know, when, so then at some point, this kid's going to go out into the big, bad world and they need to be able to fend for themselves. And are you leaving them because of a such a sheltered life? Are you leaving them to make grave mistakes that they can't come back from? You know, I i mean, listen, for as many success stories as I've heard, I've heard about kids who kill themselves. I've ke- heard about kids who overdose. I've heard of kids who drink themselves to death. They didn't get to test those boundaries in a safe environment because parents were so busy trying to protect them from something or other. And then all of a sudden they're out in the world left to their own devices and they're not able to make good decisions. So I, I worry about being able to make good decisions and trusting yourself that your kid's going to be able to make those good decisions based on what you shared with them. So number one, to answer your question, I don't think there's a lot of emotional intelligence that is drummed into our parents' generation, because if you had that emotional intelligence, you would allow your kid to fail in front of you. And then number two, you know, I, I feel like it with my parents, and I can only really speak from that is that they made this quantum leap by coming to this country. And then they kind of cashed in their chips. <laughs> they were like, this is all I got. So, you know, fear is the only thing that could inform everything that they did. And then and ultimately, like, I haven't had a relationship with my family for the better part of, you know, I'm going to be 50 this year. So since I was 18. You look to be fifty.
0: Sorry, you look. I mean, not that you, fifty is like the new twenty, anyways. But you yes. look fantastic. Um Thank I you. was just about to ask you whether you've had a chance to talk to your parents or family about this. Uh,
1: so, my father and I didn't speak uh, for the fifteen years before he died. My mother and I have a relationship where we are now trying to trying to write a new story. Um, and trying to leave a lot of the old sort of collateral damage in the past. It's amazing. Um, but that being said, I can't tell you that you know, like we don't have a a close relationship because we're still in recovery from years and years of being estranged from each other.
0: And does she understand why or is she is she still kind of in the dark?
1: I don't think I gave her a choice. You know, I just left and I didn't go back. And so I don't know that I gave anybody a choice. You understand me, you don't understand me, I'm still not going to be there. I think that, I I will tell you this, today I have, and I believe this with everybody, you really have to train people on the way that you wanna be treated. So if there's any negativity from her or anybody else, I immediately just shut down. I don't reward it. But when there's positivity coming my way, I will respond. And I think that that is something that works well for me and keeps my sanity. And that doesn't, that extends to my family members as well.
0: That's amazing. I feel like it's a therapy session for me too. This is awesome. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I have a feeling, I know the answer to this. Was there any point in your journey that you're like, oh shit, I should probably just shift and become a doctor, lawyer, engineer ever? Or were you always like, nope, Mm -hmm. this is it?
1: No, there was never a moment where I wanted to be any of those things. And to this day, that has never changed. I will tell you that there's a disconnect between what you get paid for this ostensibly glamorous career and what it is, what the reality is. So there have been moments where I wasn't able to make rent and I couldn't really reconcile you know, here I am living my dream, doing what I set out to do. I'm on television in New York City, but I'm struggling to pay rent. And I really had those were moments that gave me pause that did I do the right thing. And and now that I look back, you know, again, I'm turning 50 this year, I should have been a better advocate for myself when it came to my salary negotiations. And I didn't learn that till much later. I always had an agent that was negotiating on my behalf. And I don't know that they were my best advocates. so I was doing a little bit of what Indian women do. It's like, well, I'm just going to hand over responsibility to a dude and he'll take care of it. And I don't think that I would do that today. I would be a much stronger advocate for my own self. And I am now when I'm negotiating for money.
0: Do you feel like, and I kind of skipped over this part, but it feels like to me that would probably be some of the best advice you could give younger Indian females that want to go down this path. Be an advocate for yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, so are you asking specifically if someone would decided they wanted to be a news anchor?
0: Yeah, A news anchor yeah. or um, you know, journalist or an entrepreneur, like just owning themselves and doing something that wasn't traditional for their families. Kind of, you know, one of the, which is a typical Indian story.
1: Yeah, I think that now you have you can come with a body of work. You can share a body of work, whether you choose to write on Medium, you start a YouTube channel, you decide to start blogging. You have those tools to be able to say, I am committed to this. And so anybody walking in the door today wanting to be a journalist, you know, well, what body of work do you have to support this? So I think that's point number one. And you can create that on your own. I think number two is that you've got to learn to build that support system, mentors, sponsors, people that are going to reflect back to you and mirror to you the capabilities that you need to cultivate in order to be able to do this job today. And I think that's pan industry that has nothing to do with journalism. But what do you need in order to be a modern day journalist? What do you need to be reading? What do you need to be doing? Like what technology should you be savvy in? And then I think that so much as it comes down to mindset, you know, how's the phrase go? If you can, or if you can't, you're both right. Um, and so you have to really a hundred thousand percent believe in yourself in your vision and be able to stand up against family or anybody else that's going to tell you otherwise. Right. I'll add to that. I, I think
0: um, for me, and, and again, we'll, we'll talk during dinner about my path, uh, my, my crazy career journey. Um, I will, I would want to tell um, younger females, p- females of color, whoever that is never too late that I discovered what I wanted to do at 40. Uh, and the ride there made sense, makes sense now. Um, uh, but, um, it's not, it's not those days where you have to make it before 30 or there's not, there's no age or, you know, I'm a mother of two young kids. I have a husband that is working 90 hours a week. Um, you can make it happen in any circumstance or, you know, single parents. So I think, I think that's the main thing is that, you know. Sure, environment and and your atmosphere and kind of your situation matters, um, but don't let it scare you. I think. I mean,
1: Morgan Freeman did not realize his big acting career until he was well into his fifties. I want to yeah. say, yeah, that's you when know, he started like, blowing up, right? But I, I don't think that. I think you have to look at that in order to be able to understand and run counter to a lot of the counsel that's passed down by our parents, who are, are like, "Oh, my life is over. You know, I I have nothing left." and and they're saying that in their 40s, like you still have half your life at this point. It's the whole you know.
0: Indian mentality of yeah. retire by like 55 and and, and the bullshit um, that goes along with it. And so I think a lot of our parents have that. Our relatives have that. Um, and I'm glad we're weeding that
1: out for our generation and next generations to come. But all props to them. We do get to stand on their shoulders. Right. We do oh, have totally. these choices because we got to stand on their shoulders and be raised with these choices. So I, I will I will give props to that.
0: 100 percent. Um it's just kind of a fun question. Um, again, I know you might not have an answer right now, but any fun stories from that time, any memorable stories from that time as an anchor anchor, like, you know, just behind the scenes kind of stories or anything you can remember that just kind of makes you laugh.
1: My boyfriend just told me this past weekend that I'm such a serious person. So I'm her <laughs> pressed to answer this. I'm sure there are. I mean, I, I think, I think about, um, I was asked to do stand-up comedy at Caroline's. And um, it was right around the time when I was promoting my first film and I was on a circuit and I was doing a lot of screenings and talks afterwards. And uh, the woman who was the organizer for the nonprofit that I had done the film with heard me offline. Cause there's okay. there's the Joya that you see that's very buttoned up right now, but then there's Joya offline and good for you. You should <laughs> there's be, a different personality, and she heard me. I don't know where she was, but she heard me. And so anyway, they were casting for the lineup for this charity show. And every single comedian was a professional and an Indian, but every other person that was going to be the interstitials. Was going to be a first timer, and this was really a ploy by the organizers. They knew that if some friend of theirs got up there and made a mook out of themselves, they were going to definitely <laughs> bring ten stupid friends along to, to right. fill the room to watch them be and make them make right. an ass out of themselves. Right. right, right, right. So she was like, joya you know, we we have a few more spots left for comedians, and I really think that you should do this." And I was like, "Well, like, I'm a serious news anchor. This is not my brand." And she's like, "Oh, but Joya. Oh, but you will make it. She's like, I heard you offline. (laughs) And so I, I thought about it for a while and I was like, shoot, you know, I've been dating in New York for 15 years. I have all this material that keeps my friends in splits when I'm sharing these stories and I never shared them anywhere. But here's my moment. And so for me, I remember getting up on Caroline's and doing that 11 minute set and people were like, so when are you going to do comedy again? And I was like, this is not like a new trajectory of my career. <laughs> but it did it did help me to understand that some of that joy can find its way into what I do, which is a lot of morning TV and morning you got TV, Out of your comfort
0: zone. You gotta add your comfort zone.
1: Right. Well, that that joy can find its way into this medium as well. And morning TV has also changed a lot. It's not so buttoned up and serious. And so if you can if I could bring channel some of that Caroline's joya into some of what I do in business news for Morning Drive TV, that is okay.
0: That's amazing. I'm gonna I interviewed Zerna Garg. Uh, uh last year so we're just gonna have to do like a comic stand-up all of us it's like my dream to do it and i'm just too scared so
1: i was thinking um, that i if i had to do that again like i haven't been dating now in, in a long time in new york city what material would i pull from
0: uh we're indian woman there's so much to make fun of it's fun. i mean in a good way in the best way possible um okay quick round yeah at the end of your career what would you like to be known for
1: Oh my gosh, I would have a podcast where all I did all day long was not run a business, but I got to lead with my natural curiosity and have interesting conversations with deep people. Why aren't you doing it now? You'd be amazing. I do it, but I do it in front of my community. I okay. don't get to do it. I still have to run all the other aspects of the business, and so what I'm talking right. about is the freedom
0: to just do that, to do it, right? Well, I'm here to help, anytime, my friend. Um, cream collaboration. One person collaboration, like I would do a project with somebody. Project, meet, dinner.
1: I don't care. One person that you haven't met that you're dying to meet. And why? Michelle Obama. You know, I hadn't heard Michelle Obama until I heard her speak in person. And by this point, the Obama administration was on its way out the door. I heard her speak in Washington, D.C. at the United States of Women Conference. And I heard her again at the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn. And I think it was the first time that I heard her so unapologetic And so sure of the woman that she is. And um, she was being interviewed by Oprah, by the way. It's very hard to eclipse Oprah. And that day she did.
0: I've heard that episode. I heard the Oprah Soul um, Sunday podcast episode with her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And she was very unapologetic about her love of her husband. She was very unapologetic about her love of her father. And she was very unapologetic about the fact that she did not want her husband to run for president of the United States. She was also unapologetic about the fact that she took this man to marriage counseling. Here she is in front of a stadium of 50,000 people. And she's talking about something so vulnerable, but she's not afraid to do that. Why? Because she was a human being first and she was first lady second. And I'll never forget what she said. She was like, you know, you take a man to marriage counseling because you're coming in with the ostensible fix this person. And she's like, you know, what I came out of marriage counseling with was that I am the steward of my own happiness. And it doesn't matter who you are with; you've got to be the shepherd of that first. And that was when she started getting up at four thirty in the morning and working out. That's when she launched her uh, leadership initiative for young girls. Like she really knew that she had to create her own orbit in order to be happy. Right. That's. Um,
0: I mean, I'm not Michelle Obama, but I'm going through that with 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 my husband at this point because of his career path. So right, I get it. Trying to do my own orbit. Yeah. Um, cheesy podcast question. U- ultimate goal with the Women's Leadership
1: Academy. I have always said this, and I said this pre-pandemic, and I'm saying this now, I want to host a dinner, much like the one you're gonna come to next Thursday in every major city of the world, if it's possible. Um, I'm so eager and hungry to meet women leaders in other countries and to learn from them. So uh, going to Paris in April. Uh, going to Croatia in July, going to Marrakesh in September. So we're firing back up the dream. Bombay. Uh, you know, I, I I'm going to tell you, Bombay has not happened yet, and that's just because I plan six to eight months in advance, okay. and I find that people there cannot.
0: I lived in I lived in India <laughs> for four years, so yeah. we'll, we'll we'll talk about that some more. Yes, it's uh, the the planning um, in India is a little different. Okay, last question. And you be honest. I would love for you to grade me. I have found my passion, and I'll quickly tell you. Before podcasting, I'm a lawyer. Uh, before podcasting, I worked at startups. Back up Bollywood dancer. Enron was my first job. Um, worked at nonprofits, and i I have written for Vogue India, Condé Nast Traveler. Interview style. So, interviewing people, talking to people, connecting and telling their story has been my strength. Now, I think I started the podcast for many reasons. One, voice. Two, I've always been scared of my own voice. I've always thought I have a deep voice. I sound weird. I just, I've always been scared to express myself. And I think something in me just snapped. And I just decided because the one thing I do know I love, I love, I love people. I know that's like a very gener- generic statement, but it's so true. Um, and so we've been talking for almost forty-five minutes. What is your assessment? Where? Where? What are my strengths and weaknesses?
1: Am I grading you on one to five? One being not so great, five being whatever different? you
0: want, whatever you think is right.
1: I would give you. I would give you a close to a four and a half five. I think. For one, you're actively listening. You're not going off some script and only sticking to that script. I've had um, really young podcasters not even wait till I finish the question and move on to the next question. I'm like, are you even listening to me? Yeah. Um, second of all, you're not afraid to inject a little bit of yourself into the interview. And I think that only comes with maturity that comes with having done this over a period of time and giving yourself permission to interject some of your experience into this interview that you're doing with somebody else. Then it becomes a conversation between equals right. as opposed to interviewer and interviewee. Um, and I don't think that you demonstrate any reticence in being able to go there and ask me t- some of the tough questions. So I would say four and a half to five. I feel so good.
0: Yeah. You know what? Honestly, Joya, my main thing with this podcast um, is to be vulnerable. Like if people don't know who I am, then they're not going to want to listen. Like I can't, if I'm not open, then you're not going to be open, right?
1: I think that the half a point there is to maybe, and this, this comes from me who overprepares and really reads up everything I can about somebody is to share something about me or your interviewee that they haven't shared before. And I think that if you, that's when you can take your good interview and make it a great interview.
0: Man, I'm so happy I passed her review of my interviewing skills. This is very exciting, guys. Love that she gave me the feedback. Thank you, Joya. I so needed that. You guys, please follow Joya. Check out her website, joyadas.com. She is, of course, on all socials. And also, check out internationalwomensday.com to see how you can get involved. Remember the theme is hashtag break the bias and you can do the IWD post on your socials. All you got to do is toss uh, your arms like an X as shown on the website. Thank you guys for listening. I have a lot more coming up this month. This is Tuckered Out.